Doom Patrol, Negative Man, Elastigirl, Robot Man. Someone wants the Doom Patrol reunited. Your every word and action is being broadcast across the planet. Now, Monsieur Mana! Well done, my Doom Patrol. Well done. It is too late for you, Calder. Your beloved patrol is doomed. Hello and welcome to Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, where we uh, wait for the thing that is the Doom Patrol occasionally, but um, you know sometimes not so long. Uh, I'm very confused. Anyway, <laughs> yes, hello, I'm Mike. You can find me on Twitter at avantgarve. You can reach us uh, via email at waitingfordoom at gmail dot com or on the Waiting for Doom Facebook page. You can also check out uh, my greatest adventure eighty dot dot com for excellent posts by. Uh, Doom Bro Doug Zavisha. You can also check out our amazing website, awaitingfordoom.com, for even more coolness. And all our episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean.com, and with a bit of luck, by the time you hear this, maybe even Spotify. Ooh. Wheels are turning. Yeah. It's the plague wheel turning, I thought. Anyway. uh... (laughs) Don't. (laughs) <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at reading underscore Hicks, and um, well, you can also get in touch with our senior show Twitter account, Wilfred. Hi, Wilfred. And uh, this week we've got a special one. We're going to talk to comic creator Ron Randall. Uh, just like all the podcasters are passing Ron Randall around like a bong at the moment. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, that could have been worse, but wow. So anyway, Paul, how has your your week been since we last spoke? Yeah, well, I, I, I've been reading Doom Patrol I, for fun. Literally reading Doom Patrol for fun. Um, because I was going to interview Ron, and he um, contributed art to the, uh, the the second half of Volume 5, mm-hmm. I decided to read ahead, and I've um, oh. made it to, like, issue 21. So. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and, and it's very interesting, because I remember the last time I read this, and I didn't know as much about the Doom Patrol as I do now. Oh. So it's, it's a bit of a different read. <laughs> Nice. Because there's a lot of stuff where it happens and I, uh, I go, I don't... That must have been in a volume I haven't finished, like uh, maybe the Burn Run or, you know, Rachel Pollock. But now I know for a fact that it's not. And uh, Keith uh, Giffen was just being creative. So. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So awesome. That's, that's fun. And um, I've been watching The Umbrella Academy on Netflix, which was quite a lot of fun. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. I, I must admit I have not seen that yet, but uh, maybe one day. Yeah. I think you would enjoy it. And cool. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's got that companion piece to the Doom Patrol, and mm. it's it's a different flavour of weird, but it's still weird. Okay, so so no watching of any Tremors films this week? No, no, I'm all caught up on Tremors films. So just, <laughs> okay, cool. Just waiting for Tremors Seven now at this point. Oh God! <laughs> no, it's in production. Oh jeez, does it still have Michael Gross in it? Yeah. It does. <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> yeah, he's got to keep on. Before he dies. So. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, have you uh, have you ever trimmed? Uh, I've seen the first one, and it was quite some time ago. Oh. Uh, and I never felt the need to track them down, but you never know. Once we start waiting for Tremors, uh, our new show, <laughs> we might have to <laughs> do a, a live, um, you know. Not live, but, you know, do commentary on them, maybe. I don't know. I'm delirious because I'm sick because <laughs> I've had the Hicks pox somehow travel down the telecommunication lines and infect me and mutate into Garv pox, which is uh, not quite as dangerous as Hicks pox, uh, but still, it's knocked me around a bit. 
Yeah, well, we live, what, 2,300 kilometres apart or something? Yeah. And somehow right. I have infected you, so... <laughs> Well done, me. Yes. It's the magic of modern technology. Well yeah. done. Oh, at least you know where patient zero is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, how, how, how is your Hicksbox? How, how's it going? It's quite annoying. Um, it caused me to medicate quite heavily. Uh, I think I'm doing okay at the moment, but, you know, I almost lost a lung on the bus ride home tonight because for some reason our bus drivers in Brisbane decide to have air conditioning blasting when it's freezing cold outside, which doesn't help. Now, Mike, um, you may be new to this, but usually when people get sick, they stop going to work. Yes, I know, I know, but look, I, I did take off most of last week. Oh. I was okay this week. Apparently not. Mm-hmm. Just a glutton for punishment, I guess. Oh, okay. But I, I have managed to get some new comics read as well. I was going to ask you about that. but Yeah. Ooh. No better time to read comics than when you're laid up sick in bed. So I got caught up on some Justice League, uh, Detective Comics, uh, 1001 and 1002. They were good fun. They were really cool. Uh, the, the Year of the Villain uh, one-shot special, which is kind of, you know, laying the groundwork and giving clues as to all the big Year of the Villain events that are coming up in the next year. Mm. Yeah, yeah, lots of bad guys doing stuff. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I will check out some of these books, but probably not every single one of them because I feel like we've done Year of the Villain already with Forever Evil, but that's that's just me being a grumpy, sick, complaining man. Um, what I did really enjoy, The Terrifics, issues 14 and 15. Goodness me, that's a fun superhero book. I'm still behind. I've only uh, read the first trade. So. Okay. Okay, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, and uh, apparently the new storyline is they're going up against God. Ah, okay. So that's a bit different. But it's just it's just fun superheroics. And I love the, the narky banter between uh, Metamorpho and Plastic Man. That's fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a fun book. Fun mm. book, and I'm really enjoying it. Hey, how are you liking Justice League? Um, yeah, it's, it's okay with the Fifth Dimension stuff so far. And, um, you know, the whole... Uh, origins of the multiverse stuff going on. Yeah, it's I, I'm digging it. Yeah, I I've, I don't understand it. It makes me feel dumb. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Look, we've, we've said that about Grant Morrison Doom Patrol before, and we continue. Yeah. So you know, if you can survive Morrison, you can survive this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Onward. Anyway, uh, shall we dip into the news very quickly? Yes. Let's look at some news patrol. So a spoiler-free news patrol because there is no episodes of the TV show coming out at the moment. We've watched them all, and um, yeah, the only real news—and and when I say news, it's a pretty loose term—is that uh, season two, we believe, is in uh, product pre-production now. Mm-hmm. We'll commence filming in November. It's not really news, but there you go. It's a little bit of news. Yeah, it's but it's- but I just wanted to say, what's that ticking? That, Paul, is a little something we like to call the Doom Clock. Ooh. So, as we turn our gaze to the face of the Doom Clock, we can see that it has been just over 29 weeks since we had a new Doom Patrol book on the shelves, that being issued 12 of Volume 6, from Jared Way, Jeremy Lambert, Dan... Margaret the Demon Lord, blah, blah, blah. Sorry. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, if they brought a new book out, I wouldn't have to keep reminding. And look, new people might be joining us. They might not be aware of this, Paul. Oh, sorry. Gosh, trying to do a community service and you just, you pox me up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, Dan McDay, Tamara Von Villa, Nick Darrington, Todd Klein, Molly Mahan, and Mark Doyle. And that issue, as Paul said, saw the Reynolds family, blah, 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 Demonscape, blah, 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 Margot the Demon Lord. Yeah. Yep. You know? We discussed this back in episode 131, and at this stage, issue one of volume seven is scheduled for July 3rd of 2019. Doom Patrol Way to the Worlds is coming to us from Jared Way, Jeremy Lambert, and James Harvey, and we'll have the patrol traveling around the solar system, facing off against the unusual and bizarre, including the fanatical fitness fiends of the planet Orbius and the Marathon Eternal, and we'll have Robot Man coming to terms with his new life as a human and reuniting with his mom. Yeah, that sounds like it's about, what, four? Four weeks away. The correct four weeks to go, Paul. What a time to be alive. <laughs> uh, are you ready, Paul, for your oh. favourite guessing game? Yeah. This week in Doom Patrol History Guessing Game with thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Okay, I am ready. You're ready? I am ready. Here we go. Wrong the eight-sided dice. You get six questions, my friend. Six questions. Okay. Mm. Question the first. What issue do you think it is? Uh... <laughs> I'm trying uh, a different approach. No, that's probably not a fair question. Um, <laughs> is it volume two? No. Oh. Is it volume five? No. Is it volume four? No. Is it volume three? Yes. You have hey! Two, you have two questions remaining. <laughs> is it issue number 14? Lower. Is it issue number 14? Uh, it is not, but for a bonus hint, I will tell you that the issue number is lower than 14. Oh, okay. So, like, single digits would be the sort of thing you would tell me. Uh, yes, yes, for our second free bonus question. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to say that it's issue number six. So close, because if you flip that around, you would get the actual number, which is issue nine. Ah, oh, no. So close. Going on sale for $2.50 American. so stupid. So stupid. <laughs> hey, hey, it's all right. It's all right. Loser. You were really I'm close. You're a loser. No, 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 stop that. You did really well, Paul. You should be proud of your efforts. Don't be so hard on yourself. Okay? <laughs> okay? I hate you. <laughs> You're trying to kill me with laughter. I'm sorry. Uh, going on sale for $2.50 American on June 5th of 2002, with the cover date of August of that year, was issue 9 of Doom Patrol Volume 3. This story was titled My Dreams Have Lied, and was brought to us by John Arcudi, Tanning Huat, Bob Lappin, David Stewart, and Andrew Helper. This issue saw Cliff being brought back from the quote-unquote dead by Dr. Kolodenko before we saw Robot Man reunited with Dorothy Spinner. And we learned what really happened between Cliff, Dorothy, and Kate Godwin sometime after the end of Volume 2. Spoilers, it wasn't pretty. That was, that was a big issue. It I, was I a big it. issue, yeah. yeah. And yes, we covered that issue way back in Episode 118 from February of 2018. And you can find that on WaitingForDoom.com in the Doom dossier for Volume 3. So you can check that episode out for further details. And that is it for the Doom Clock this week. Sweet. And now it's time for Doom's planning. And this week we have a very special guest joining us. Uh, we have Ron Randall uh, joining Paul to talk about his new book, Trekker Battlefields, which is uh, coming up on Kickstarter very shortly. And 
about his involvement in Doom Patrol Volume 5. So take it away, guys. So, Ron Randall is a graduate of the Joe's Cubitt School of Cartoon and Graphic Art, and sometimes in the late 70s he found a magic lamp and made a wish that he would get to work on every single cool book that DC published in the next three decades. <laughs> and that wish was granted, and Ron was all over DC Comics, including Warlord, Arak, Son of Thunder, Sergeant Rock, House of Mystery, Swamp Thing, Batman Detective Comics, Justice League Europe and International, Tales of the Teen Titans, Wonder Woman, Action Comics, Dragonlance, Who's Who, Astro City, The Dreaming, Proposition Player, and... Wait for it, Doom Patrol. <laughs> he also worked for Marvel on Nobody's Like Deadpool and Spider-Man and Venom. Um, he also did a lot of sci-fi for Dark Horse with Aliens, Predator, Star Wars, and most notably his creator-owned Trekker, which is about the adventures of sci-fi bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair, who debuted in Dark Horse Presents. No, Ron is a few days into his latest Trekker Kickstarter, and um, honestly, I was really worried for about the first five seconds because it looked really touch and go, but then it took <laughs> off. <laughs> so, um, and then the Kickstarter has been fully funded, what, uh, day four, was it, Ron? Uh, day five, I think, but day yeah, five. right in there, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was just Googling it, and it came up with the Chapeltown one, and you're actually really oh. close to where Chapeltown finished on day six so that's quite remarkable well thanks very much yeah it's uh, it's it's been uh it's been a thrill <laughs> and i just hope hope it keeps rolling of course so what can you tell us about uh trekker battlefields your new kickstarter well each each trekker story uh, there's a few things i'll say about it one is each trekker story and this is really important to me where each trekker volume i should say works as a standalone story so it's a self-contained story where I introduce, uh, if, if, I, I pretend every story is going to have new readers, so I introduce the character, the world, the situation, and an adventure. A story has a beginning, <laughs> the, the development, middle parts, and a resolution, an, an end in each story. I have had the experience, and I'm sure most of your listeners have, of they've picked up a they've picked up an issue of a book that has an attractive cover, or they've heard something about it, and they're reading through it, and then they get through the entire issue and barely even know who's in the book, uh, or, or even who, who they're supposed to be rooting for, or that sort of thing. Um, I want each Trekker book to be accessible to a new reader, so there's that aspect of it. But also, each one, each adventure does build on the previous ones, and, and I try to have them all up the ante to move the character of Mercy further down her particular personal journey's road of evolution and development as a human being and and uh, moving her adventures uh, onto you know, higher stakes ground, uh, upping the ante on each story. And in Battlefields, we have somebody who's essentially trained in, as, as a bounty hunter, but she's on a particular quest into uh, mysteries in her past. She's got, she's got some stuff back there that she's trying to find out about. And it winds up taking her to like the farthest reaches of the galaxy. She winds up crashing right in the middle of a full-blown war zone. So um, as a storyteller, one of the most fun things you can do with, with a character, especially somebody like Mercy, who is like, you know, very... Um, very self-possessed, very much you know, invested in being in control of the situation, being a badass, <laughs> uh, and she is all those things. So what what do you want to do as a storyteller is you want to put that person out of their element. You want to get them off balance and off their guard. So uh, I thought, take this character and have her, you know, having to deal with, you know, troop movements and flanking units and and uh and all sorts of strategies that are that are not in her normal wheelhouse um so there's that aspect of it too as well as just the uh, also upping the ante on the the personal stakes involved so uh i try to make each story work as compellingly as i can because it it keeps me invested in it and i figure if, if i'm engaged in it like that uh hopefully i can pull the readers along with me 
Wow. Um, one of the things that really surprised me about Trekker was how long it's been a thing. Like, uh, it first debuted yeah. in 1987, and I presume it was in your head for a few years before that. Uh, I can explain. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it wasn't in my head for too long before that. Uh, the, 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 the quick origin story of it is I was, uh, I was as, you, as you said in your really remarkably thorough introduction, uh, I had been uh, doing a lot of work for DC Comics, was working on a regular monthly book, drawing Warlord at the time. Uh, right when Dark Horse was starting out, and uh, Mike Richardson, the publisher, who was a much younger guy at the time, just like I was, <laughs> came up. He, he was looking to have a few established creators work for his little, you know, modest little black and white company, which is a very smart business move, uh, as well as being a really good comics move, because he wanted... You know, he, he was starting a little black and white company, and he didn't want, to, want it to be an amateur outfit. He wanted to have this, you know, be a, a prime-time organization and the way he could sort of uh lure people like me away from working for the you know <laughs> the bigs uh was to give us a chance to you know give us our own creative head as it were you know it, uh it's sort of a creative blank check is what he offered uh ron you can come with us we'll pay you and you can do what you want i said i'll never hear that sentence again in my life <laughs> so while i so while i hadn't specifically been thinking gee what would i do because i didn't think i'd ever have the opportunity to create my own series you know basically calling my own shots but when the opportunity fell into my lap, uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. You know, I said, you know, I got a young family at the time, a lot of responsibilities. Who knows if this company is even going to be around six months from now? But I just, like I said, I said, I'll, I'll never get a chance like this again. So, um, and it wasn't hard to come up with Trekker, uh, as a, as an idea, as a concept. So on some level, these things had, I guess, been percolating in my unconscious for a while because I knew I wanted to do a science fiction series. Uh, female-led action-adventure series uh, exploring issues of violence and the role that it plays in a society and what it does to a person. And you know, all those sort of elements came together pretty quickly. I designed a character, sent it in a dark horse, and then we were off and running. So that's how it came about. And the reason it's been around this long is um, I designed the series that I really, really wanted to do uh, because that's what the offer I got from Dark Horse. It wasn't, hey, Ron, why don't you pitch us a series that you think is going to be a surefire commercial success and, and and had they done that to me i would have said i don't know how to do that mike because i don't i i don't feel i have a great feel for you know what's hip or trendy or, or anything i just i just knew what i wanted to do and naively again i figured i think this is cool i don't see comics like this out there but if i think it's cool other people must think it's cool too um and i think that's sort of how we launched the series um but it didn't find a really big audience, so uh, she had her own series for a while. But it, it got to the point where I was only I was only able to do a little story here, a little story there, um, and, and very sporadically put out. And that was a very frustrating way to try to to try to engage a character and have her gain traction with a with a reading public when it would just she was like a now you see it now you don't sort of thing. So finally, after a, a number of years of that, um, I just put the whole series on hiatus, and I didn't work on Trekker for like twelve years. Um, she never left my mind. And every time I'd go to a convention, people would say, Ron, when are you going to do more Trekker? And I'd say, I've got the next story written. It's sitting in a drawer right next to my drawing board. And as soon as I can find a way to get back to doing it, um, I will do it. But I didn't want to get back to it and just do a story and have it disappear again. So uh, it took a while before I got to that point. But uh, that, that's where we're at now. The character named Mercy Sinclair, is that sort of influenced by James Bond? Is, I mean, that seems so 70s to me. 
it, it is absolutely not uh, in any sort of um, intentional way influenced by James Bond, but you know, the, the, the all the influences that are in Trekker are probably just you know the influences that I wear on my sleeve because when I was a kid I loved certain things and uh, some of them I even have forgotten about and somebody will will point out something in Trekker oh that reminds me of such and such and I say oh yes I bet you that's I bet you that's there it wasn't a conscious thing um, no with, with Mercy St Clair uh, the, I mean the name Mercy just it just the 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 irony of it was just was just too rich I couldn't avoid it <laughs> a, a bounty hunter named Mercy. And uh, I'm not sure exactly where St. Clair came from. It just the, the sound of the words together. It just felt like a good name. Uh, it had a good rhythm to it. It, it, it really uh, it seemed to evoke a lot. I just like the word Trekker. Um, I guess that's the other thing is I came up with Trekker when Star Trek was basically a dormant property. Yeah. <laughs> the, ori- the original TV series had been out there for 20 years. There had been a movie or two, but you know, comics and movies weren't super closely related at the time. So I uh, I was just trying to think of a good name for the series. Young woman, she's a bounty hunter. What's a good title for that? And some somehow the word trekker, because she's going to be on a big journey, you know. And, and I thought oh, trekker, that's a cool sounding word. And Star Trek, well, that's that's you know that's been gone a long time now, right? So we we I, I pitched the series to Dark Horse. They said yes. I started working on the story, and then I guess it was Paramount announced Next Generation was coming out. <laughs> and I said, "Well, I'm screwed now." But I but I'd fallen in love with the name, and you know the wheels are already uh, moving on that. So, so that's that's what that's been all about. <laughs> <laughs> right. So your social media game's been on fire. I mean, you've really promoted this one well. I mean, you've had a bit of help from the Sutherlands, uh, Darren and Ruth, friends of our podcast. Um, Amen. And- just looking at your Kickstarter now, it is fully funded, and um, if you're wondering what it is in Australian dollars, it's 29821 Australian dollars. That's great. Sounds more exciting, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'll take that number. If we just <laughs> roll that over, it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> but did you find it hard to create reward levels? Um, is there any that you rejected? Is there a be adopted by Ron and Lynn level? <laughs> um, there, there isn't. Uh, I, I found it pretty... It was. I mean, I, I got. I, I should give a shout out to my my good buddy Carl Kiesel, who is also a. He's a, just a terrific comics creator and a great guy. Um, your listeners will probably know Carl and his his drawing partner Tom Grummet from their work on uh, Superboy. Sure, yeah. And uh, he's also done a couple of Kickstarters now for their their creator on book Section Zero, which is sort of like a challenges of the own crossed with the X Files. Uh, <laughs> it's just a wonderful, delightful, just classic. You know, adventure comic book that explores unexplained phenomena and that sort of stuff. Anyway, when I was trying to figure out how to make my best way forward with Trekker, um, I was really reluctant to turn to Kickstarter because I didn't know the first thing about running a Kickstarter. It seemed incredibly daunting, very complicated. Just my mind just would just sort of fog out when I would think about all the different things that a person should should know how to do none of which I knew how to do. But Carl had already run a masterful first campaign, loved it. He's the only guy I ever heard who said, I really like my Kickstarter. I thought, there's something wrong with this guy. Because usually I would hear people talk about how, how stressful and exhausting they were and all that stuff. But he, he made me an offer. He said, Ron, if you, if you do decide to, to, um, to try Kickstarters with Trekker, I want to help you. And boy, was he as good as his word. He, just, uh, he, he, he coached me all along the process, everything from helping to, to set, you know, the, you know, choose what sort of rewards and, and levels and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and I quickly, I also quickly decided that having seen the way some some people that I knew, some of my I guess I'd say contemporaries ran campaigns, and some of the rewards they offered, they got sort of complicated. Um, and I, I was determined to keep my campaign 
kind of more or less as streamlined as I as I could make it. Wanting to have enough war, you know, that that balance where there'd be enough variety of rewards that people could find something interesting, something that would fit the price range they wanted uh, and be attractive, but without going nuts and offering like you know you know, sweatshirts and, 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 uh, coffee mugs and whatever, um, that would require, cause I'm not a manufacturing outfit. I'm one guy. And the, the other thing is the point of Trekker of doing these stories on Kickstarter is I want to do a regular ongoing series of graphic novels that come out on a regular, reliable basis. And to do that, I have to spend a lot of my time writing and drawing comic books, which is what I want to do. And then I have to spend a lot of time running Kickstarter campaigns, uh, which I'm happy to do because it's my own project, my own passion project tracker. And then I have to do some time on the fulfillment end. But, you know, the more time I have to spend trying to figure out how to manufacture this thing and that and how to package that stuff, the more that gonna that, that will that will increase the interval between my, my tracker volumes. And I feel a lot of Trekker readers have been waiting a long time to get the rest of these stories out there. <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to make that as, as, as smooth a process as possible. So my main criteria is, will these, will these, um, rewards be relatively easy or at least straightforward to produce in a way that I feel like I can have a handle on and not have to try to coordinate with too many people and, you know, uh, manufacturing fact, you know, factories someplace. <laughs> in the Midwest or overseas or whatever. So I just wanted to keep the logistics as pared down as possible so there would be as few hitches as possible in the process. So with that criteria in mind, I, I, I settle on the rewards pretty quickly. As time goes on, I'll, I'll tinker around and try to add a few other things. But um, I try to stay within what I figure are my abilities. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as a person in Australia, a comic fan, I really appreciate that uh, it's very straightforward with your shipping. You basically say you'll ship it everywhere. There's nothing in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, and part of that's because I'm I'm using, uh, and this is a great bit of advice I got from a couple of people that are on Kickstarters. I I didn't know, you know, how when I hit that launch button on the first campaign, I had, I, I promise you, I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen. I felt that with my the help of my friend Carl and talking to some other good friends who run Kickstarters, picking the brains and getting the best ideas I could, I felt I had given it my best shot at building a campaign that was sensible, practical. Um, but I knew I had no idea what the reception was going to be. I don't know if I get you know, I knew there'd be some Trekker fans who were going to back it. But was that going to be twenty people, a hundred people? I you know, I <laughs> so I hit that launch button not knowing. So I thought, well, if it's a small thing, I'll I'll just you know fulfill the campaign myself. But I heard some people talk that if um, if you're going to do any real numbers, you know, using a good fulfillment service can really simplify your life a lot. Um, and again, I was trying to keep things simplified and, and uh, streamlined so that I could free up as much of my time to do my comic book as possible. So I'm using Blackbox as my fulfillment service. I was lucky enough to get on with them. And uh, they're just a super professional outfit that that handles that shipping it comes at a cost and you know so my, my shipping charges are what i feel they have to be for me to at least come close to breaking even on the shipping but yeah i so i try to keep it straightforward and they're so well run and well organized that that it's pretty helpful just just working with them excellent so with your career i mean it's you've seemed to be a bit of a butterfly that you never really settled down very often on, in the one spot so you kind of mm -hmm. move from book to book um did you have the career you imagined after the cubit school or i mean did that come later with the, the current versions of trekker coming out yeah well when i got out of the school i was just uh, i was just sort of making it up as i went along it's just, i was just you know looking for assignments i got out of the cubit school and was just getting um 
sort of establishing a, a little toehold at uh, DC, getting to work on some short stories here and backups there. You know, back back then, it, they would have a mystery comic or uh, you know, a House of Mystery or something like that, or um, a war comics. Uh, and uh, so there would be these little short backup features in these things. Sometimes they're four or six pages or eight pages long stories. And so young guys like me, you know, beginners, <laughs> could uh, could sort of get our, get our toes wet in the in the professional comics waters and get a little bit of professional experience under our belt, working on a little story here, a little story there. And then um, and the the hope was the the vision was that then that would eventually lead to you know, invitations to work on slightly more substantial bodies of work. And by and large, that is what, what came about. But it was sort of like, you know, just just fielding the best offer I could get one after another. And I didn't have a real big game plan in mind other than I really wanted to do comic books. So, yeah, it really wasn't until 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 Trekker came along that I, that I settled on something that said, yeah, this is this is this is my home. You know, uh, one of the things I always admired was uh, was Hal Foster's career. Um, once he. So for your, I don't know who you, who all of your uh, listeners are, but Hal Foster was the guy that created Prince Valiant and did it as a newspaper strip for I don't know, thirty five or forty years. That was his career. That's not a typical comic book career, of course. Most creators do sort of, like you said, sort of butterfly. They'll flit around from one project to another for lots of reasons, um, and I've done plenty of that. But uh, but having a character and creating a world that you can then just really dwell in and develop and refine over time and you get to know those characters so well um that really appealed to me for whatever reasons um so getting the chance to do it with trekker is is hands down it's the most the most fulfilling the most rewarding and the most um just the most passion-filled project i can imagine having wow okay so you worked on doom patrol about what nine years ago now so uh this was the keith giffen run with matthew clark on art and you joined the book Mm -hmm. with the issue eight and then pretty much stayed all the way to the end Uh, but one of the things that was strange about it was you and matthew were sharing the penciling and um as a reader i i can't tell which one is which (laughs) basically well and and i will tell you that that Given the role that I felt that I had on that book, um, what you just said is is about the highest compliment that I could get for a couple of reasons. Number one is Matthew's a phenomenal artist. Uh, I, you know, he, he's just the guy is just insanely uh, gifted and and very very intense. Um, and Matthew and I have a lot of uh, a lot of you know like every artist they're gonna you're gonna share some sensibilities but you're also gonna have your own differences of temperament and how you would lay out a page or draw an expression or a gesture that sort of stuff. Um, and 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 this isn't the only time in my career that I've been uh, sort of called in to be sort of a, a pinch hitter or um, uh, in America we have this sport we call baseball and uh, <laughs> there's, I know these, of it. there's these. <laughs> Yeah, there's these guys that are called a utility player is somebody who can sort of be plugged into different positions on the field. Like he has a reasonably high level of skill at at several different positions. So so they can be very useful because they they may not be the very best first baseman in baseball, but they can function well enough to hold it together for a handful of innings. And then, oh, now our our left fielder is out. Well, Put put the utility player out there. He can handle that job too. I've been kind of a utility player <laughs> um, for some of the jobs that I've been on, where for whatever reason a book gets in deadline troubles or something like that, and they want to have an artist that can come, can come in and sort of fill in some gaps. 
And on those jobs, I don't feel it's my job to go in there and show show everybody who Ron Randall is and sort of, you know, impose my personality on that book. I, I feel if this book is up and running pretty smoothly and people are happy with it, I want to just try to keep things running smoothly. So what I did with Doom Patrol is I just I tried to fit in. I tried to say, what's Matthew doing? What can I do to sort of uh, sort of like a uh, a method actor where I just try to figure out you know what's my motivation? What's <laughs> what's Matthew? What is Matthew's? What is he feeling like? You know, I, and, and how can I try to get as much of the texture and the the emotional tone that Matthew gets in his work and bring that into my work so that a reader has exactly the experience you had? They pick up the book, they read it, they're still reading a Doom Patrol comic, uh, as opposed to reading it all of a sudden on page seven. There's this jarring change of style. Um, I think that does incredible violence to a series, <laughs> and uh, so so um, I worked really hard to you know, study over Matthew's stuff and uh, try to try to get as much of his vocabulary, his visual vocabulary, into my approach as I could. Every time I've done that, it's I just learned so much because you know every artist has little tickles, as it were, in their uh, in their techniques and in their flourishes of style. And some of those I can pick up on and sort of incorporate into what I do. Uh, others I slough off as soon as I finish working on that project because it's just not me. But um, it's always enriching to get to work with other people and, and try to figure out maybe not what makes them tick, but you know, but what are they trying to do? Right. So Matthew was um, doing the heavy lifting with design and character creation and things like that? Exactly, yeah. I was, uh, I was in, in inheriting a lot of his designs, which are just... Yeah, they're phenomenal. They're dramatic, and they're, again, he's just so intense. I mean, if if there's a if somebody's got a seam, Matthew will draw that seam <laughs> exactly <laughs> over and over again uh, with 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 tons of detail and, and just loving precision. Um, and I, I I couldn't match that level of intensity that he had, but I, I tried to get within the ballpark. But yes, all the design work was 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 Matthew's there. I was. Uh, I was I was the hired help. <laughs> <laughs> and did you come to the project with an appreciation of the Doom Patrol already, or you know, awareness of them much? An awareness of them in that when I was a kid reading the early, you know, the early '60s Doom Patrol things, so I, I I I knew the basic dynamic and setup of the team, which made it tremendously fun to read one of Key's scripts <laughs> because because. It was still there. I mean, the basic team dynamic was still there, but of course, Keith can't write anything "quote unquote" straight. You know, he's no. <laughs> he's always got to put that gif and spin on it. And uh, when I first started working on the uh, on the book, um, I remember having a great phone call with him, where you know he was just uh, he's so passionate about what he does, and he's so uh, I, maybe subversive isn't too far off the mark, but you know, he he definitely wants to to take these uh, he, these things and sort of set them on their ears a little bit and uh it's fun it's kind of exhilarating and sometimes it's a little bit slightly disconcerting and i think that's exactly what he's after <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a very nihilistic um take on the doom patrol this one and they're very dark and you know they've been through so much stuff that they're all you know sort of they can take or leave life at this point it seems right which is you know really that's i mean it's called doom patrol it's kind yeah. of a pretty good uh, you know i think it's i think it's a valid take on opera that way and just told with a great deal of flair and panache which is you know which is something giffen has always always had just a real strong firm voice in his writing it's always been there mm. so you're involved with some pretty fun and pretty dark stories like there's the trans-dimensional construction incursion and then there was rita had a big showdown with mento her um ex-husband yeah there's yeah. a two-parter where chief gets 
Kryptonian powers and goes nuts. <laughs> um, you took the, the team to North Korea for a, a bit of a murderous holiday, and then there's, there's a crossover with the Secret Six from Gail Simone. Um, so, what were the highlights for you? Well, for me, I, I was it was kind of dizzying because of like you just said, that's that, that's a whirlwind tour <laughs> of a lot of some sort of nightmarish uh, episodes. So, uh, for me, some of the highlights were just I, this is going to sound like such an incredibly nerd thing to say, but getting to draw. draw <laughs> Robot Man is just a highlight. Period. <laughs> he is just a fun character to uh, to draw. And Matthew did his little tweaks in the redesign, which I found really really delightful too. So that was great. And he got smashed a lot. Yeah, he, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you get a machine, and if it's a Giffen story, it's gonna it's gonna wind up with a lot of dents at the very least, right? So there's that. I like drawing some of the the little character interchanges between like Rita and Cliff was um, things like that or uh, th- those sort of moments are fun. Um, there's one scene I remember they're they're uh, having a discussion out at the end of a dock or a pier. I don't remember what issue it was in now, and uh, just some of those quiet moments um, where you get a sense of the the hurt humanity <laughs> the- <laughs> underneath the characters, you know, so that we can we can be again. That's essential in a series like this because these people do. Uh, they're they're, they're, pre- they're pretty they're uh, pretty they're pretty prickly, I guess we could say. You know, they're pretty flinty characters, and um, it's important to show the underneath side of that. So, do you do many Doom Patrol commissions? And I, I know you've done two recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's the, my commissions are all over the map. I've done I, I've done some Doom Patrol uh, commissions, more than half for some projects, not as many as for others. So it's 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 in the mix there somewhere. But uh, uh, you know, there's some fa- there are some passionate Doom Patrol fans that that come up and seek me out at the shows too. I've done probably more Doom Patrol than I have Venom, which is maybe a little surprising, but uh, yeah. Oh, wow. And when this volume wrapped, it happened very quickly because of the new 52 was coming hot on the heels and Flashpoint had sort of had just happened. Was that a surprise to you uh, as part of the team, or did you get a good warning that it was coming? Oh, they, they, they played fair enough. They, they let us know far enough in advance that it wasn't like a big shock, and um, not to sound too whatever you know jaded or the grizzly old veteran, but um, I, by the time I was working on Doom Patrol, I'd been I'd been working in comics long enough to know that it's that it's a very common occurrence that a, that a book, especially a book that um, that is doing some things that are a little bit uh, tinkering around the edges of the of the DCU or whatever, um, they they may not have that that long of a lifespan. So we had a, a decent range of time. I felt on, on the series. I would love it to have continued, of course. I feel that way about just about every series that I've worked on, um, and some I've been I've been really sorry to see go, but it's not usually any more too much of a surprise when that happens. It's, it's just it's the nature of the beast, you know. There's there's a real pressure I think to, to shuffle the deck uh, fairly regularly when when uh, when they feel there's a certain amount of I don't know stagnation or something setting in. I, I can't speak for what their criteria is. They meaning the the publishers and the people that call those shots up in the offices, but it, it's it's a it's a recurring pattern. So this stuff does happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we're hoping for with the TV show now is that Volume Five will finally get its due and get fully collected and things like that. So, I mean, they did two trades of it, and then the last trade was was actually solicited and then cancelled. But uh, you know, many years back. Mm-hmm. But everything's coming up Doom Patrol right now. The TV show has been a big hit, and you know they're even collecting Paul Kupperberg's complete run now. So. You know, hopefully they'll get to volume five soon. I think so. I I, I would I would love to see that, and uh, you know I, I I think the fans deserve it, and uh, I think the series deserves it. I think I think that the work that was done on that that stretch was uh, 
was was very entertaining stuff, and uh, I'd love to see it collected. And yeah, we can only hope that uh, the booth from the TV show will will make that happen. It's it's hard to say. That, you know, I mean, I've seen sometimes something is uh, something that appears in another media, TV show or movie, uh, really has a positive effect on the visibility and the the um, the, the uh, return to favor <laughs> of that property in in the printed pages as well. Other times, it still seems sort of a disconnect there. So, again, uh, it, it's kind of a mystery to me. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who's whatever crunching the numbers or trying to read the tea leaves or <laughs> whatever's going up there that that makes them that has to make those decisions. But uh, I'd certainly love to see this collected in a format that does it real good justice. Just to, to finish up, I just wanted to mention just the it's amazing the support and promotion you've been getting from Darren and Ruth Sutherland. And uh, was it really weird to discover that there was a Trekker podcast? I mean, how, and how did you find that out? Um, it was very uh, what's the word I'm looking for disorienting maybe would be <laughs> but um <laughs> the way it came about was so um as i said trekker had been in, uh on hiatus for a bunch of years and i then i i brought it back first as a web comic because I, I figured this is where i can return all the original stories back into at least something of the the the, the cultural landscape as, as a web comic and do it on my own terms i wasn't beholden to any sort of publisher there was no overhead and that sort of stuff with the eventual strategy to get the books back into print and so early on in the process i was uh I was at the, the Baltimore Comic Convention. Uh, this is maybe eight years ago now, um, maybe seven. And uh, Darren and Ruth came up to me and introduced themselves, and they were just—they were just the kindest, politest, <laughs> uh, and most uh, appreciative fans. They were so excited to see Trekker come back, and they—they they told me the story about how they were uh, just dating as a young couple and went into a comic book shop together and saw. Trekker number one, uh, the cover of it uh, on on the rack there, and it caught their eye and uh, picked it up, and they loved it. And so um, their association with Trekker goes goes very far back in the personal in their personal relationship. And we just had a nice conversation. They they bought all the stuff that I had there, and um, then the way Darren tells the story is, uh, after the convention ended, they were driving home, and he said he was so excited because he just loves he loves Trekker, and uh, he said. We should do a podcast about this, and we said, "No, we're not going to do a podcast about this." <laughs> but he, but eventually he won, I guess. And uh, so I forget how long it was after I'd met them at that show, but I got an email from him uh, with with his proposal, or uh, you know, his, informing me that they were thinking about doing this podcast and wanting to know if it would be okay with me. Like, would it? Why would it not be okay with me to have <laughs> fans do a podcast about my comic books? So it was, it was. And since I had met them, and they're uh, they're just such wonderfully good people <laughs> that I was completely comfortable that anything that they would do uh, would be would be you know completely appro- appropriate to the series and something that I would have no issues with whatsoever, and that's certainly been the case. Um, though the podcast was, it was it's, it's such a delight to uh, to tune in from time to time and listen to them. Uh, pointing out things in, in, in those stories that I'd done and they, they're very attentive to details and that's great. And yes, then since then they've just they've done so much to help um, increase the visibility and the exposure of, of Trekker and spread spreading the word about that. And that's invaluable because it takes a long time for me to write and draw these comic books and then as I was saying before, then I have to now I'm building Kickstarters and doing all that stuff too. And then and then the whole other part of the job of somebody in my position is to Make sure that people know about my series, and you know, quite bluntly, I can't do that on my own. I I I, I do need fans and readers who who find Trekker and and like it and and think there's something of value that other other readers that they know would like, and helping spread that word. 
and Darren and Ruth are just in <laughs> consonant at that. They're 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 smart. They're they're clever about how they do it, and uh, very earnest. And uh, um, if I you know if I had uh, if I had fifty fans like that, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have to do. Have probably could cancel my Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my first exposure to Trekker came from winning a contest on their podcast. And oh. get, they sent me um, the omnibus, and it was signed by you um, with a little head sketch. And huh. but honestly, I think you know the contest was just an excuse to give people copies of Trekker. Like <laughs> <laughs> that, that is very that is very much who they are. They 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 have, as you know, they have enthusiasms for a lot of of things in. You know, pop culture things and uh, science fiction and so on, and uh, they just love to share their their enthusiasms and their discoveries with with uh, with fans, and they do it in in such a such a fun way um, and a very earnest way. And uh, um, yes, I, I, I they they have been known to gift people with with uh, Trekker volumes um, just to share that enthusiasm, and, and again, hopefully to make it, make somebody who's a Who's a fan and a new reader? I, I just can't say enough about um, about the impact that their their efforts have had on on, on helping me in, in in doing what I'm doing. Uh, do you ever get embarrassed by the way they always fight in front of you? <laughs> they are just the Bickersons, aren't they? Yes. No. <laughs> no. Uh, you call them the Fighting Sutherlands on this show. <laughs> the Scrapping Sutherlands, yeah. <laughs> No, uh, and, and in fact, I'll be seeing them at. Um, uh, they'll be at Heroes Con this year, and I'll be. I'll be. I'm lucky enough to get to go back there, and we're looking forward to, you know, uh, getting together, spending some time at the show, and probably uh, visiting a bit after the after hours as well. They're just uh, wonderful to spend time with. Excellent. Yeah, I'm going to catch up with them in uh, late July at uh, Raleigh Galaxy Con. So. Oh, you can do wow! Good for you. That's a that's a long trip, but. Uh, yeah, I'm bringing the family this time, so we're going to do New York and things like that on the way. So. Fantastic! Well, that's that's the way to do it. That'll that'll make it a great experience for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for your time, Ron, and um, you know, continued uh, all the success with this uh, Kickstarter that's going on. I hope you uh, you know know what to do with all the money at the end. So. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'll have I'll have no trouble with that. One more thing I'll I'll say is that uh, when I set my funding goal. I call it my initial funding goal because what the funding goal, the way I run my Kickstarters so far anyway, has been that funding goal covers the cost of getting the book printed, um, the shipping, the fulfillment fees, all those expenses. Uh, it doesn't cover any money to go towards the time it takes me to write and draw the comic books. Um, and theoretically, this is my profession and my career. It's not just a pastime or hobby for me. So, the, when the campaign reaches beyond that funding goal and gets into the stretch goals, as well as creating other, you know, content for the book and, and uh, spot varnish on the cover and the nice features that make this, the volumes really, really to me more distinctive and special, some of that money also goes to help to help sort of pay me a little bit for <laughs> for my job. Um, <laughs> it's your so living. It's uh, it's got it to. <laughs> is, it is my living. It's got to do that. I mean, I didn't have. Honestly, just to be blunt about it, I didn't have the guts when I launched my first campaign to ask for anything like the amount of money it would take to pay me to have written and drawn those stories. I had the luxury that those first stories were all done before I launched the campaign. I've been able to manage to get those done while I was doing other jobs. But now uh, that back inventory is gone and you know the amount of time it takes me to, to do the books and on the Kickstarters, I really need this project to become you know much, much closer to self-sufficient because I just don't have the time to go out and do a lot of extra jobs right now. I mean, I can if I need to, but it will, again, probably prolong the, 
the, the period between Trekker books and stuff, and I just don't want to do that. So I'm pretty invested in, in forging ahead on these uh, on these stretch goals and having these things go uh, as far as I can get them. I can pretty much guarantee you that, that the money that's made there will, will pay for the book and the extras and buy me some oatmeal, and that's pretty much what we're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got till what, the 28th of June? Uh, 27th. It ends June 27th. 27th. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, thanks very much for your time. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Trekker Talk. A fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by writer and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. Please join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series. Special episodes feature interviews with Ron Randall himself discussing Trekker and his other comics. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Listen at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit TrekkerTalk.com. Trekker Talk is part of the Rad Adventures Network at RadAdventuresNetwork.com. And now it's part of the show that we call the Mailbag of Doom, because it's what says on the script. And we are listening... Well, what are we doing? I don't know. And we are reading your answers to the question of the week, which was... What is a comic that you completely revised your opinion of after a reread? And it's a wonderful question, courtesy of Mike. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Uh, we heard from uh, Mr. Yob at, at MRHS, uh, who's at Yobzilla. So uh, I, I believe this is a new <laughs> respondent for us. Yes. Thanks for joining us, Mr. Yob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said, Mr. Miracle by Tom King. Those first few issues were out freaking standing. But as it droned on and on, I realized it was I was reading a treatise on PTSD and depression and not a mystery. I actually contacted the people I recommended it to and apologized. Oh, jeez. Wow, okay, that's, that's, I must say I haven't heard a lot of bad about that Mr. Miracle series, but uh, this is... I read it recently and I thought it was really good, but I would recommend that Yobzilla stays away from Heroes in Crisis. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) jeez. We then heard from Ryan Daly at RyanDaly01, and Ryan said, At first, I liked the Green Arrow and Black Canary stories from the world's finest dollar era. Then, as I began to scrutinise them for a podcast, I realised how much I loathe Ollie and Dinah as a couple. They're so bad for each other. I'll never cover them on the show now. Oh, man, that's a crumbling foundation of faith right there. (laughs) Sorry to hear that, Ryan. Uh, Oh, it's the Married with Comics people. So we get a little indicator that it's Jay, which is Jonathan. Mm. He said, "Um, trying to decide which Alan Moore book will get me less death threats by mentioning that I hate it now. Uh, Let's go with The Killing Joke. I thought it was beautiful and deep. Now I find it a beautiful mess of shock value mixed with an unnecessary backstory. And the end is crap. Hmm. Okay. I, I think the, the bloom is definitely off the rose for the um, sort of the abusive parts with Barbara Gordon, um, mm-hmm. certainly. Uh, but yeah, I think it's got some wonderful art. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, uh, yeah. Anyway. Ooh. Yeah. But I can uh, certainly understand where you're coming from, Jay. Yeah. Jonathan. Mm. Schaefer Hames. 
Yes. Maybe. Uh, do you think we should do a Transformers podcast? I've been worrying about this. I mean, it seems everyone's doing them now, and I just... Um, to be honest, I'd rather do GoBots. Oh, okay. That's what I say at my bottom. Anyway, um... <laughs> Don't. GoBots. Sean... <laughs> yeah, we get it. Thank you, Paul. Okay. Thank you. Sean Ross from Secret Wars and Beyond podcast chimed in with I hated Doomsday Clock when it first launched I didn't and still don't think that Watchmen can be improved upon so it didn't need to be revisited however at one point the quality of the writing and art won me over and I decided to pretend that it's a really good Elseworlds are you Doomsday Clocking Michael? I'm waiting for the trade which oh, I believe okay. is due in what five years time? yeah five years time no it's it's really quite good Except, except it's like uh, half the story's been forgotten about uh, by the second half of the, like, from Uh-oh. issue eight upwards, it's just like, eh, who cares about Rorschach and these other characters that we focused on exclusively at the start? Uh-huh. Let's right. just focus on new stuff suddenly, so. Okay. But it is, uh, you know, issue 10 was a corker. It's really good. I, I have seen uh, comments along the same lines. Apparently, issue 10 was quite good. So I look forward to reading that in five years' time. Uh, We heard from Clinton at Coffee and Comics blog, and he said, A savage sword of Conan. Uh, My young mind didn't like the magazine's size or the black and white art, but by crumb, what a foolish child I was, because that book was incredible. However, I was and always have been correct that NFL Super Pro is complete and total garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mm, Conan, NFL Super Pro. Yeah, I can... Yep. Yep, yeah, fair enough. Now that um, Conan stuff, yeah, I, I was a bit of a black and white comic snob when I was young, but uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate them now. I, I have to admit, I I got kind of used to black and white comics growing up in Papua New Guinea because that's all we had for some time. Because we used to get, oh, I can't remember the name of. There was an Australian publisher that did reprints of DC comics. Ah, yes. Stuff like the 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 New Teen Titans, and, that, and it was only done in black and white. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, I've, I've still got some of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like, oh, okay, comics in black and white. Okay, mm-hmm. but they were still cool comics. So, yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. Anyway, getting back on track, Sphinx Magoo at Sphinx Magoo on the Twitter said, I originally hated Frank Robbins' work on The Invaders. I'd had a bad experience with Robbins' art on Detective Comics as a wee lad. His art genuinely frightened me. So wonky and distorted, I thought. Now I'm amazed by it. My favourite is the story that introduced Baron Blood. Okay. Hmm. Cool. I'm unfamiliar with Frank Robbins' work. Same here. Yeah, but I'll have to look it up. Sad that I missed that impact on my childhood. Uh, <laughs> we heard from Ted Kilvington at Justice Trek 2019, and he said, My initial assessments of comics have always been correct. Wow. Well. I wish I had your assurances and yeah, confidence. Yeah, nice for some. Wow. <laughs> Alpha male much. <laughs> Yeah, he showed us. Wow. We've been pwned, or whatever the kids say. (laughs) Saul Bishop, at Saul Bishop on Twitter, said, Couldn't stand the Avengers growing up. Wasn't until Buziek and Perez had their run that I really learned to love the team and its history. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Cool. Uh, I think this is Jonathan Dye, who's uh, featured on all the best podcasts, something, something. Um, He said, I wouldn't say I hate it, but a lot of the shine is off the apple on Preacher. All the rape and sex jokes were great when I was a teenager. Now just yeesh. Mm. Mm. You're the you're the preacher fan on this podcast, mate. What do you reckon? I haven't read Preacher in some time, and I only ever saw the first series of the show. Um, but yes, yeah, so back in the day, I was crazy in love with 
preacher. Now, yeah, it's a little bit off color, certain parts of it, uh, but I would need to reread it again to fully agree one way or the other. But I, I would think, yeah, even thinking back on some of the stuff, pretty, you know, pretty distasteful stuff <laughs> and mm. done for shock value more than anything. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, Tim Price at Tim Price 17, the charming but deceitful Tim Price joined in with Strike Force Moratori. Read the first issue when it came out, just didn't like the fatalism of the premise. Read everything on Comicsology a few years ago and was blown away. X-Men volunteering to be on the Suicide Squad. Fantastic and ahead of its time. Wow, I've, I've never read it. I I had a friend that was reading it back in high school and he was crazy for it as well. And I, Yeah, same, I never got around to it, but I was aware of, of the premise, like superpowered beings that unfortunately have a very limited lifespan. Yeah, and surprise, you know, so, hey, you're dead, look. Yeah. That sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we heard from uh, Marcus Landsberg, and <laughs> it's not an iceberg, it's a Landsberg. Anyway, he said, <laughs> anything by Sinkowitz. I didn't get his art. Later, I learned to love it. There were a couple of other books like that where the expressionistic art just repulsed my literal mind. Yeah, good call. Sinkowitz is, uh, you know, he's, it's a shock to the system. Mm. And then he said, one more, Brett Blevins as well. My mind couldn't understand. The Bird Boy issues, still no good, but the art totally has grown on me. What are the Bird Boy issues? Uh, Brett Blevins uh, did quite a lot of work on the New Mutant series ah, from Marvel okay. Comics back in the day, and Bird Boy was this teenage... Um, part bird, part boy, literally, uh, that the, the teens of the New Mutants took under their wing, pardon the pun. Uh, and yeah, I, I've always kind of liked Brett Blevins' art because it's kind of uh, elongated features and everyone's kind of tall and lanky in that. And I, and it's got that scratchy kind of aesthetic about it, which I, I kind of like in comics. So I've always liked Brett's art, but that's, that's just me. But I can, I can get that it's not for everyone. I, I remember not liking his stuff on... Uh, Shadow of the Bat or something like that but I really loved he did a sh an issue of the Shade miniseries uh, okay the spin off from Starman and that was awesome oh, anyway cool we then heard oh it's Juice <laughs> Aaron Long after Juice 005 chimed in with mostly Doom Patrol does that mean he didn't like Doom Patrol and now does or the other way around I'm going to say the former because that's more palatable and it makes his comment actually worth it yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. finally. A worthy <laughs> comment from Aaron. Finally. Five years in. <laughs> we heard from Pirate Pekingese at Iowa Card, and they said New 52 Deathstroke. Loved Higgins' issues. Life felt not so much. So you're talking about a creative change on the title that uh, oh. soured it for you. Mm. I get it. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Ward Hill Terry at Ward Hill, Hill Terry said, uh, loved the Avengers Korvac story as it originally unfolded. Great dislike for it now, though, as it is the story of the utter failure of the Avengers with a deus ex machina ending. Ooh. Mm. Can't say I've read that story. No, I can't say it either. But Korvac sounds like a, you know, an Apple core vacuum cleaner. Right. Korvac. Anyway. <laughs> Doesn't get funny. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sick, all right? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, we heard from Tri-State at uh, Tri underscore State 26, and they said, when I was younger, around 10 or so years, years ago, anything Swamp Thing irked me. I didn't understand the concept or the storyline. Now I love it. He's one of my favourite DC characters. Good cool. man. Person. Good person. <laughs> yes, nice. Swamp cool. Thing's awesome. Yeah, Swamp Thing's so, cool. so many good runs in the, uh, the history of the character. At the risk of getting scorn, I have to admit, oh, Mike. the only 
version of something I've read is the new 52 one. Ah, oh, okay. Well, no, that's fine. But I, I have a really weird memory from a family trip to, I, I think it, it was either in Hong Kong or Japan when we were kids, and we my parents took us out to dinner somewhere, and I think we'd been, I don't know, mucking up or something, as kids do, and to quieten us down, my dad got us some comics, and I clearly remember reading a Swamp Thing comic. Oh. And it had the Unmen in it. I think. All right, yep. Yeah. Um, I can't, couldn't tell you the, the story, the issue number, and I just remember some of the artwork from it. And boy, did that quiet me down. <laughs> no, that sounds I like was, a Bernie Wrightson early one. It probably was, yeah. yeah. I just remember being so fascinated by these weird, grotesque monsters in, inside it. I was like, wow. So the, I, the, foot, the foot with the face. Possibly, yeah. I, I remember like bodies lurching around some sort of swamp cabin or something, which could be any swamp thing issue, I know. But yeah. Anyway, uh, getting back on track again, Carlos Reyes at C. Reyes247 said, As far as books I've hated that I later loved, none. If I hate something, it's for good reason. Now, books I've had high hopes for but then burned me, I'll make a short list. Uh, Siege, Bendis' Avengers Run, Fear Itself, AVX, uh, that's Avengers vs. X-Men, Battle of the Atom, Secret Wars, Court of Owls, Zero Year, Dark Knight's Metal, fair, uh, Afterlife with Archie, because it's not done yet, and The War of Jokes and Riddles. Those are the ones I got burned by off the top of my head. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Over on the Facebook, we heard from Jared Driscoll, and he said, I used to love Chris Claremont and Alan Davis' Excalibur run when it first came out, and I reread it about a decade ago, and boy, that series just meandered endlessly. Wow. Hmm. I, I was a big Excalibur fan back in the day, too. Oh, were you? Yeah. yeah. Alan Davis art. It was fantastic stuff. So, And, you know, it was X-Men, but they were British X-Men. <laughs> so was, well, part of the team were. But, yeah, okay. I, I haven't reread it since, you know, high school. So um, a bit sad to hear that it meanders. Wow. Mm. Then again, they, they did have a, something called the Cross-Time Caper, uh, which I think was in, a, like, a dimension-jumping train that had them going into all sorts of different dimensions and alternate realities, and I think that went on for a bit long, so maybe... Mm. Oh, okay. Mm. All right, shall we give our answers? You can go first, Paul. Okay, well, I, I struggled to think of a comic. I mean, I can think of ones where I, I liked the start of the run and I didn't like the end of the run, like Scott Snyder's Batman, um, when Bruce Wayne is uh, no, is out of it and... Commissioner Gordon is Batman in a bunny suit. Um, yeah, it's not so good. Um, but I'm going to cheat and give a movie answer, a movie that I thought was excellent the first time I saw it, and what? when I rewatched it, it was like, oh, what's was this it No, no, oh. hush your mouth. Uh, it was uh, X-Men First Class. I thought that film oh. was amazing when I first saw it in the cinema, and then I watched it again on video at home, and I was like, ugh, I don't like this at all. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Um, I've got two answers, actually. Uh, the first off, just an overall concept, Green Lantern. Uh, I was... Green Lantern Rebirth, that story got me back into D, well into DC properly. Um, that reignited my interest in, in the DCU. Um, and, but then as time's gone on, I've just gone, you know what? No, he's really boring. And why does Earth get to have half a dozen different Green Lanterns? That kind of takes away from his uniqueness and him yeah. being special if everyone's a freaking Green Lantern. Um, so 
Greenland as a concept, I'm just yeah, no. He was great when I was I was younger, but now he's just dull and boring and you know, moving on. But an actual comic series uh that I have changed my opinion on is one called The Boys. Uh oh. from Dynamite Comics by uh Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson. I tried rereading that uh a couple of years ago now and I just wasn't enjoying it the second time round. Uh when it, it first came out I think in about two thousand eight and at the time and I've got the entire series in trades. Uh so I was I was, you know, reading them one trade at a time and saying, Yeah, this is, you know, super violent and it's poking fun at comic books and superheroes and yeah, look at all that sex and nudity and violence and now it's kinda like, you know what? It's just nah, it's just over the top. It's just a shock value. It's just a bit much, really. And I don't think I could even finish off the first trade when I tried my reread. It was just, it was just, I, I don't know. It was just over the top um, foulness for the sake of it. Yeah. And I just, just didn't enjoy. But yeah, like when I was first reading, I was like, wow, this is awesome. This is kick ass. This is, oh, look, that guy's fist has gone right through that guy's spine. Wow. Oh, so subversive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, nowadays, nah, not so much. Oh. But good on them for getting a TV series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's, that's, I actually came prepared with two answers this week to make up for certain other weeks. Oh, well done. Now, who wants to read the, the first email we got? I'll go, I'll go. So we heard from okay. Martin Gray, and he wrote an email with the title, Waiting for Gloom. Hmm. Oh. And he said, Hi, chaps. Every time you mention the last issue of Doom Patrol with the I can't even remember family in Dungeons and Dragons land and not a Doom Patrol member in sight, a story I could barely get through, I get sad that it isn't the end of the current take on the team. Then you mention the new stuff coming with the patrol traveling the galaxy like Josie and the Pussycats in outer space. Big theatrical sigh. No bigger. Oh, my. Oh, poor man. And he said, I want the team on Earth, where there's a chance of interacting with classic friends and foes, not skipping around meeting more sub-Morrison concepts in one issue uh, every three months, if we're optimistic. I expect this that makes no sense Danny the Ambulance will become Danny the Spaceship. I'm so ready for a new rider, one who didn't grow up with the Vertigo versions of the team. A return by Giffen or Arcudi would be nice. Anyway, hope you're both feeling better. Cheerily yours, Mart. Well, one of us is better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Paul. Thanks. Thank you, Martin. That's um. I, I it, on the one hand, yes, I do get your concerns. Yeah, I'm. I can see how you feel that way, and there is a part of me that's worried we're just going to get more of the same, and the schedule's going to go down the toilet, etc. Um, but hopefully, um, Jeremy Lambert's injection of talent will, uh, you know, uh, change what we get, and mm. you know, morph it into something new and fresh, and it will be new and fresh. So I'm, I'm. Um, well, I'm about sixty percent optimistic. Okay, um, I, I, I'm, I'm seventy five percent optimistic, I guess. Oh. Uh, but then again, and I hadn't thought of this before, and thank you for putting this in my head, Martin. I'm totally down with Danny the spaceship. That would be <laughs> awesome. You know, that's, that makes total sense. You know, how can it not? <laughs> uh, then we also got another email uh, from Doctor Ange, and he's titled this email Tempest. And Ange writes, so bummed, Giffen messed up the powers Tempest manifested. But I think I know why. 
Who else used the name Tempest? The old Aqualad Garth, who had, you guessed it, weather powers harnessing the storm. My guess is Giffen didn't know Josh asked someone what are Tempest powers and got told Garth's. If only there was someone in charge to check such things, someone to edit the book and make sure such mistakes don't make it to print. As for your question, when I brought the Phantom Zone miniseries by Gerber and Colin, I thought it was a bizarre mess. What the hell was that? I even hated Colin's ethereal art. When a little older, I loved it for the drug-addled psychedelic trip it was. And Colin's stuff is dreamy. Loved it. Deep cut, I know, but the best answer. Oh. Thanks, Ange. Thanks, Ange. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, that, that could be the um, the mystery of why Tempest's powers are not Tempest's powers in this. Yeah. The, the wrong Tempest. <laughs> Makes perfect sense now. So, yeah. Thanks, Ange. Hmm. Well, I guess that's bringing us to the end of that part of the show. And um, what, what's on, uh, well, next week, I think it's time to come back to DCOCD and finally do 52 because I believe, and check me if I'm wrong, Michael, we have both read it. We have both read all 52 issues of 52. Hallelujah. I even read World War Three. Wow. You've gone above and beyond, sir. I, I sure have. So, yes. Yeah. And we're itching to talk about it, or just yes. itching. Well, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so we'll do uh, DCOCD next, and after that we'll be back with another Waiting for Doom, and yeah, I don't know what we'll talk about. We'll work it out. I'm pretty sure it'll be more Volume 5, goodness. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Unless we wait a few weeks, then we can talk about Volume 7. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, uh, the next question of the week is, what's the greatest fight scene in comics? And that question comes courtesy of Sean. I help out everywhere I can. Ross. Right. Thank you for such an easy question, Sean. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I call Sean the waiter because he always brings something to the table. Nice. <laughs> nice. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, there are several ways you can do it. You can look us up where we live and come and visit. But easier ways to do it is via Twitter at WFDPod, via email at waitingfordoom at gmail.com, via the Facebook page at Facebook, and via waitingfordoom.com, our bitchin' website, which has all the, you know, everything that everyone wants in a website. Yeah. Um, presuming you're into the Doom Patrol more than anything else. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. But I'm, I'm keen to let you recover, Mike. So thank you for joining me tonight, and I hope that you feel better very soon. Same here. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for your concern. Thank you for sharing your Higgs box through the magic <laughs> technology. <laughs> but yes, that's us done for another week, guys. Thanks for joining us. Uh, as always, stay weird, be good to each other, don't be a crumb bum, and we'll catch you again next time for more waiting for doom. Waiting for doom.
The hardest part of the interview is when he talked about HeroesCon and I wanted to say, I've been to HeroesCon. Take it away, Michael. Uh, is it me doing the intro again? Oh, it is. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I can do it if you want. Yeah, you um, do it. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll bloody do it. You bloody, bloody do it, mate. Don't yell at me. <laughs> all right, well, let's get this over and done with so you can... I can go and die in peace. <laughs> <laughs> go and... Lick all the handsets in the house or something. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> We've had a running joke at work because because we're one of those fantastic open plan offices. Yeah. Uh, and we have the long benches, and there's um, me and my former team, uh, Belinda and Craig, and then another coworker, Muriel, all on the end, and everyone in our row has become sick. Yeah. This running joke that Belinda had been licking each of our keyboards. <laughs> and our, big di- our big director was walking past and overheard that, and he was like, what? But he's been a bit annoyed that we've all been sick over the last, you know, week and a bit or two weeks. Yeah. And he's like, wait, what? Is is that how you... you no. And we're like, yeah, no, <laughs> it's a joke. Keep walking, dude. So... Yeah. We'll lick you.